The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com on this edition of the yahoo sports college podcast we'll discuss the importance of boise state is coach o about to dunk on us all an interview with toledo's jason candle mismatch drinking contests and pumpkin spice recipes gone so terribly wrong All right, my name is Dan Wetzel, joined by Pat Forty and Pete Thamel. Uh, before we start, quick word, we're thinking of all of our listeners and readers down in the Carolinas and Virginia as the hurricane comes in. Please be safe. Hope you and your property survive. Uh, this is going to impact some games this weekend, but we don't really care. We just want you back here uh, safe and sound next week. Uh, we're also taping on September 11th, uh, worst day in this country, for this country in my lifetime. Uh, and I don't ever want to forget that shock, that sadness, uh, the heroes of the day, the lost lives. Uh, college football is just a diversion. Uh, I do think it helped bring us together because uh, we have fans in big cities and small towns and all over the place, uh, but it's still just a game. Um, so thinking of, uh, of everyone on September 11th as that went through. All right. Uh, I want to start with what I honestly believe uh, is not just the biggest game of the week although it's not between the highest-rated teams, but one that uh, may have the biggest impact on fan interest, debate, and generating an interesting narrative for this entire season. That is number 17, Boise State, at number 24, Oklahoma State. Should be wild. Uh, Coach Gundy is already wearing a ref outfit in his press conferences to try to hype up some kind of, I don't know, stripe up the stadium. Uh, Boise's pumped, um, should be a great game, but bear with me on how this is important. Boise state's really good this year. 
Uh, I mentioned the other day on the Monday, uh, or maybe it was last, no, it was Monday's podcast, uh, they had 818 yards against UConn, ninth most in a college football game ever. Uh, the offense is ridiculous. The defense, I think we'll see how good they are. Uh, but this is not just like a decent Boise State team. This is one of those power five teams that might be able to play with anybody. Um, and this at Oklahoma State's the biggest test on Boise's schedule. They win this. There's a really good chance they go 13-0. and If they go 13-0, and we get to have a debate. We get to argue. We get to watch Boise games. Say, are they deserving? Should they get in? Um, you know, what's this team all about? And yes, Oklahoma State's also beaten. Many other teams are beaten. Notre Dame could make shake things up. Stanford hasn't conceded out west. Central Florida could run the table again. But I think Boise's the most likely one. And we need this conversation. As long as we have a four-team playoff, I can see how the season's going to play out. Four is just too little. Uh, look, Alabama's going to be in this thing. Clemson is going to be in this thing. They could each lose a game, and they're probably in this thing. Uh, then it's going to be another SEC team, most likely Georgia or the Auburn uh, LSU winner this weekend. Uh, and that's it. Three from one little segment of the country. And then maybe there's a Big Ten team, Ohio State or Wisconsin, maybe someone from the Big 12, um, or else they could even have another team from the Southeast. We need something interesting. I don't want a season where I can <laughs> pack this thing out and Boise shows up like I think they might, we have something interesting perhaps the rest of the way. Pat, uh, am I just a dreamer here, or are my fears of a semi-boring season laying out in front of us, or predictable season, it's never boring, uh, are, they, are they warranted? No, I, I, your fears are warranted, and I am with you on A, the validity of Boise pending the outcome of this game, and B, the importance of this game. All the blue eggs are in this basket. It's their only game against a Power 5 team this year. It's on the road. You win that game and you look good doing it, and I think Boise's credibility goes through the roof, and it creates absolutely a huge debate and discussion, the kind that Boise created eight, nine years ago when Chris Peterson was there, and they were probably good enough to at least be in the mix for a, a championship, but there was no playoff then. Uh, and, yeah, I look around the rest of the, the landscape and I see the usual suspects. So it would be great to have a different suspect involved, especially a rogue outlier from the group of five that has been completely shunned aside. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by that this game and that team. As you mentioned, what they did to UConn was incredible. They, I, I saw a statistic where not only did they have 818 yards, UConn had less than 200 that hasn't happened this century for somebody for that big a separation uh, in terms of yardage. So really in interested to see Boise on this field uh, against a good Power Five team. Pete, does America need Boise State? America needs Boise so much right now, Dan. In these divisive times, we can all come together on the blue <laughs> turf very... and celebrate. I am a huge fan of Cinderella's flies in the ointment, outliers. Just any sort of anomalous difference to spice up our college football life. Last call needs Boise, and Boise needs last call. Let them run undefeated and wreak havoc. Now, this is going to be quite a game. Um, I don't know exactly. I I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of points scored on both sides. Uh, we haven't really seen what Oklahoma State can do. Obviously, Boise's racking up big numbers against teams that um, – 
you know, aren't going to be a Big 12 defense, and don't laugh. But uh, what do you think will happen here this weekend, Pete? Well, I think Boise wins. Uh, I have a lot of faith in, uh, in in Brett Rippon, their quarterback, nephew of uh, former NFL uh, quarterback Mark Rippon. Uh, you know, he's he's been a multi-year starter there, obviously been hyper-productive. And uh, I really feel like they can go into Stillwater, and it's the type of veteran team. I believe they return eight, nine starters on defense this year. Andy Avalos is one of the sharp young defensive coordinators in the, in the country there. I really feel like they can go toe-to-toe. And, and really, when you have these Power 5, non-Power 5 matchups, the, the difference is typically in the trenches, Dan. You know, in, and I don't feel like Boise's front on either side is going to be distinctly overpowered. So I, I think Boise punches him in the mouth and, and beats him in Stillwater. Pat, you're on the Boise bus. I think you invented the Boise bus. <laughs> I did invent the Boise bus, and the Boise bus is back out of the shop and running at a high speed. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 100% with Pete. And we will discuss this game, by the way, teasing our uh, – a race for the case podcast later in the week. We will we will have our picks on that, but I think this sets up great for Boise. I agree with Pete that they're not going to be physically overmatched uh, anywhere. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be high scoring. You've got the number one offense in the country, Oklahoma State, and the number four offense in the country, Boise, at this point. So I think it's going to be kind of a pinball game. But uh, love Boise in this spot, and and just glad that they're they're having this chance to play this game. Yeah, I think. How is Boise only fourth? Yeah, what the hell? What the heck? They just got like twenty six miles <laughs> against UConn, I mean, and they scored sixty two in their opener against Troy. Did yeah. they have like seven defensive touchdowns? What? <laughs> well, yeah, how did that work, Pat? I, yeah. I don't know. I'm just looking at the stats here. Oklahoma State six hundred and seventy five yards a game. Boise six seventeen. In between, Ohio State six fifty. Texas A and M six thirty. Good so lord, that's what you got. Now yards per play, Boise a ridiculous nine point one four. That might be tough. They they averaged on Saturday night against UConn ten point four yards a play. Uh, you're going to win some games. <laughs> no, I am not not a math major, but when you can wheel off yeah. ten every time. <laughs> you're going to w- you're not punting much. No, you're not punting much. I think Boise's got to win big. That's the thing. I think um, you know, 35-33 isn't enough for them cuz they only have one chance. I mean, this is, you know, this is really the game and, and, and that's not fair, but that's that's college football, you know, that's life. Life isn't fair. So, I think they need to put up a, a, a statement here and they go in and blow them out and then it's like, you know, at the end of the year, if there's if you got that debate where you're saying should we put a fourth a third SEC team in, or uh, do we take this undefeated Boise team? You know maybe uh, you know it's it's a, it's a conformity group down there at that playoff committee. They don't they don't step out of line much, but <laughs> maybe at least it's in hey. the debate. Boise would never be more popular than if it's a debate between them and a third SEC team, <laughs> well, I can tell you that. The could, nation would love Boise. It could happen because you could end up, you know, with uh, – I mean, it could it could happen. Just, it could, you know, like it, let's say Auburn wins out and then loses to Bama they, with a win over Georgia, and then Georgia gets the uh, SEC title game, wins the SEC title game over Alabama. I mean, it's not that hard to see where you've got a third SEC team with a really good – Thing and you know they love them all and the the the, the, the computers will be all excited for them. So I don't know. This is uh, I I am I I don't normally care who wins, but uh, I do want something interesting to scream about in about six weeks. So we got to do this podcast uh, every three days. So 
Dan, can we can we put a challenge to the Boise Athletic Department? If they win this week, I want them to send Pat a blue turf backdrop. <laughs> so when we do these videos, we can have the blue turf field behind Pat. Uh, no offense to the Louisville skyline, which obviously gives me chicken skin every time I see it. But I think we want I think we want someone someone there at Boise to uh, get Pat a blue backdrop to uh, to to help get the bus. I think that would be good. I, I did mention you guys. I think on earlier edition, I, I wrote when I was. Writing the Death to the BCS uh, book, uh, Boise put me on their alumni mailing list, and I got their bag. <laughs> <laughs> Strangest thing ever. Um, two years, yeah. and then it stopped coming. I guess I lost my degree. Um, yeah. Boise, an underrated town, by oh, the way. Fantastic. I've all enjoyed every trip I've I've been there. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. It, it's temperate in the winter. People, th- it's actually in a desert. People think it's like this, you know, frigid northern place. I'm, a, I am, a, I'm a big Boise fan. I have not driven a bus in Boise like some of us, but I am, a, I'm a huge fan of uh, the unconventional football in the. Uh, All of Idaho is pretty awesome. It's just uh, not easy to get to. Not easy to get to. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, huge knockout ladder game, whatever we want to call it. Number twelve LSU visits number seven Auburn. Tiger versus Tiger. Look, uh, Auburn is could re- represent a second monster victory. First three weeks of the season, they already beat Washington. Like if Auburn wins this game, and the top twenty-five polls are based on results, they should be number one. Uh, they won't be, but they should be. Um, more interesting, though, for our purposes, because we love bitterness, anger, and of course revenge. Even if it's against us, <laughs> this is an opportunity for LSU coach Ed Orgeron. Uh, who uh, to basically dunk on us, to make us look terrible. Um, he a- entered the season sort of on the hot seat, but LSU looked incredible throttling, throttling Miami in the opener. Um, it would shut up all the Orgeron, Coach O, doubters, uh, some of whom are currently on this podcast, <laughs> me included. Pat, were we wrong about Coach O? Uh, or do we need to see what happens this weekend? We need to see what happens this weekend. Is he in <laughs> position? Yeah, he's in position. Uh, and I'll give him credit. Look, they've got some good wins. They they beat Auburn last year. They won at Florida last year. They, they as you said, throttled Miami. Uh, his record as the permanent head coach is 11-4. and four. It's not bad. It's still not what LSU wants. But let's see him do it against a better team and on the road. Uh I will say that Miami, I thought, was overrated coming into the season and played like an overrated team. LSU still hasn't proven they can do what they haven't been able to do for years, which is throw the ball with any competence. They're 114th in the nation right now in pass efficiency. I'm sorry, passing yards per game. Uh, Joe Burrow, who they brought in as a transfer from Ohio State, supposed to be the savior, 21 out of 44 so far this year, and that's with a game against Southeastern Louisiana factored in. So. I'm not there yet, but hey, you win that game, we can have Coach O on here and we can all tell him how sorry we are for having doubted him. Pete, are we going to have to apologize to Coach O for doubting him? First of all, I like just the notion and image of Coach O dunking on us. I, I picture him hanging on the rim and then like pounding eight a foot, Red Bull. Eight, eight uh, foot rim. His... Eight foot. I don't think, yes. I don't think Coach O yes. gets up off the ground too much anymore. It, <laughs> it's celebrating by like eating a Slim Jim or whatever he, uh, wherever he ate in, uh, in meat market. Uh, he wrestles a gator in the morning, goes down to like cut off Louisiana, gets out in that river, grabs the thing by yes. the tail, beats it over the head. 
Slice uh, doesn't even have time to cook it. I would argue that we are in this position talking about Coach O dunking on us because Gus Malzahn threw up on himself in last year's Auburn LSU game. If you recall, the Tigers in Death Valley had a 20-point lead, which they squandered due to conservative play calling by Malzahn. It's uh, probably the worst loss of his Auburn tenure. And honestly, if Auburn had held on and won that game, combined with LSU's loss to Troy, we may be talking about Mike Norvell's LSU team going to play Auburn this week or something of the like. I I mean, that's how that's how huge that comeback win was for LSU last year because it was pretty tenuous uh, during Coach O's first season. So I really feel like Auburn is going to be geared up for this game. I feel like Auburn's been a little bit underrated all, all year. Uh, Jared Stidham I, could end up being one of the top three quarterbacks picked in the NFL draft. They, they have the typical complement of skill. I had an NFL scout tell me, that Auburn had as good of looking of a defensive line as he's seen anywhere in the country this year. And there's obviously some pretty good defensive lines in the country this year. So uh, I like Auburn in this game. I don't think Coach O will be dunking on us, but I can't just help think of just how Auburn completely squandered that game. Well, yeah, these, uh, you need a little luck on, luck on the way these things go. All right, uh, a great game. And I, I, you know what? It's like I'm looking forward to that because it's like the first – Great Saturday afternoon, 3.30 window on CBS. You know, that classic SEC environment. Like, uh, that's college football to me. I'm pretty excited about this. All right. Other end of the spectrum, Rutgers is visiting Kansas. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. Feel the excitement. Arguably the two worst Power (laughs) 5 programs in the country. It's nice they decide to get together. What's to argue? Where's the argument? (laughs) Okay. These guys, uh, is this tackle football or is it like two-hand touch? I don't Are we – apparently tackle football. I'm doing some research here. Uh, not a pillow fight. Anyway, uh, I looked this up on StubHub to see how uh, I could get a ticket. Uh, it's funny. When I typed in Rutgers at Kansas, StubHub's result was, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> get a life uh turns out uh you might be surprised to know this pete and pat but uh you can get uh, two on the aisle 50 yard line uh right now for the low low price of 34 bucks um i don't think they're getting that price i think i would wait um but anyway maybe the StubHub search bar was correct so pete we'll start with you what would you rather do then watch Rutgers and Kansas play tackle football. And there has to be this uh, requirement. You must do it sober. You have, you have to have to watch the game sober. You can't just get bombed and just play pass out in the stands of whatever Kansas is. Does Kansas have a stadium or just play like a local high school? I don't even know. But at Lawrence High School, um, you can't just, you know, you got to be sober to watch the game. So what would you rather do? Then watch this game. So on my drive from Houston to College Station on Saturday, I went through Prairie View, yep. a place noted for its distinct collegiate ineptitude, and I saw a facility being built that bragged, and I actually looked it up. There was an article in the Houston Chronicle about it. The world's, the country's biggest cricket facility is going to be installed in Prairie View. 
very soon. Two, two, 12 fields, including two for night cricket games. So I would rather watch night cricket in Prairie View than watch Rutgers in Kansas. Night cricket in Prairie View. They got a great barbecue joint down there uh, called The Pit, I think it was. Just like, and it may not even be there. It was just a guy with a truck on the side of the road, but <laughs> it was, uh, Prairie View's all right. Um, I think all the A&M peop- kids would go there. Now, that may not still exist, but um, I don't go to Prairie View often. But anyway, all right, night cricket. Pat, what would you do sober uh, rather than watch Kansas play Rutgers? Well, first of all, I want to educate you, Dan Wetzel, that Kansas does have its own stadium, okay? Oh, okay. Good to hear. A 50,000-seat palace well, that's four, memorial stadium. 45,000 more than needed. <laughs> Announced attendance. It's memorial stadium because they remember when they <laughs> actually the yeah, there. Right. died. <laughs> <laughs> Announced attendance for the season opener against Nichols was 24,000, less than half. Lie. And I'm Lie. sure that Lie. is wildly inflated. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm shocked that there are 50-yard line seats available for Rutgers in Kansas. But what would I rather do? I would rather drink Bush Light with you, Dan Wetzel. Listen to your glory day stories from BC High than watch Kansas and Rutgers. That's how bad that game is. I would willingly drink Bush Light with you. Pat. Maybe grate some cheese with your neighbor's stolen cheese grater. We, Absolutely. we mock what we don't understand, Pat. We mock what we don't understand. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would gladly do yard work. Uh, over this um i always love mowing my lawn but i would even like weed i think i would probably weed (laughs) this is if if you're sitting down let me put it this way guys okay and we have female listeners too but let's let's talk to the let's talk to the guys if if you're sitting down on saturday and for some reason you're watching rutgers in kansas this is a good time to say hey dear what would you like to do okay this is your opportunity (laughs) is there anything around the house you need me to do you want to go to like the uh, whatever the pumpkin, you know, pick some apples or whatever. This yeah. is this is the time, okay? Do not yes. waste your precious whatever you know, whatever built up uh, points or whatever you have for your Saturday. Do not waste it on Kansas and Rutgers. So yeah, this is a good time for faux generosity and selflessness for right. sure. I am give yourself up. <laughs> I am predicting a four-four tie in that one. So. Four. <laughs> Dan, I assumed you packed the family in the station wagon and drove up to Mount Pleasant to watch Kansas <laughs> barnstorm in and beat Central Michigan on the road last week, 31-7, and with all Wetzel's decked in Kansas we, blue, cheering. We instead went skiing at Mount Pleasant. Yeah, well, yeah that, that no, there's no mountain there. It's so. the stupidest town name in the – it literally is nothing. There isn't even a hill. Are there, there Chippewas used to be there? Chippewas. Uh, not anymore. No more Chippewas, unfortunately. Um, all right. In a true backyard rivalry game, Hawaii is traveling to West Point to play Army. Sure. A couple neighbors. Um, problem for Hawaii is the kickoff is at noon Eastern time, which means the game will be played at 6 a.m. Hawaii time. A little shock for the body clocks. Uh, I am perfectly fine with this because I want our Army – to be unfair and gain any advantage possible over their adversary. <laughs> We're not here to play fair. We're the Army. Uh, Army is uh, my favorite college football team. West Point's my favorite place, the best place I've ever seen a game. Um, however, 
in the spirit of whatever we're calling sportsmanship these days, Pat, is this fair or unfair by Army to schedule this game so early? It's wildly unfair. It's ridiculous. Boo-hoo. And you know what? I, I applaud your patriotism, Dan. That's that's great of you to stick up for the United States Military yeah. Academy. <laughs> Uh, but come on, you're making Hawaii play at 6 a.m. And this is a pretty good Hawaii team. They're three and oh, they might have a chance at a really good season here. And I get thrown this monkey wrench. I don't know whether it's army's doing or whether it's CBS sports network, which is televising the game, but I'd like to hear their explanation of, it. and they'll probably be on the air Saturday laughing it up. Oh, what a tough game for Hawaii having to play this body <laughs> clock game at 6 a.m. Because we told them to. Because we scheduled it. Oh, 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 how about that? Let's get the sideline reporter to talk to Hawaii. Are you awake yet, guys? <laughs> my my favorite part of the 40-yard dash this week was Pat just shaming the CBS Sports executives. Yeah. I, I was cackling out loud. Um, the, the shame of this is... That Hawaii's pretty good. They're three and zero. You mentioned the dash. Nick Rolovich uh, is being known for more than taking uh, Britney Spears lookalikes and Elvis impersonators to Mountain West Media Day. And uh, Cole McDonald's been been really really productive. Uh, it'll be interesting game. Jay Bateman, Army's defensive coordinator, is one of the sharp young defensive coordinators in the country. They obviously will limit possessions with the way they play. Uh, obviously, Hawaii's bringing back the run and shoot. They have a more wide open game, so it. it it would be a fun game if Hawaii is kind of weird game Hawaii. because Hawaii is a Navy place, like it's a Navy stations, and sure. uh, the Army. We don't really have a lot of Army in Hawaii. You don't need it, so kind of weird game to me there. Um, all you have to do with college kids in the six a.m. thing is just just don't have them go to bed. Just tell them that's like last call. <laughs> These Hawaii kids, they're up to six a.m. or they're up surfing. I don't care. <laughs> We're going to ruin Hawaii season. Let me tell you what how ruined it is. They get to go home to Hawaii. Anyway. <laughs> Damn, Army kids got to march in formation at like 4 in the morning. Forget it. I'll, go Army. The only thing worse they could have done was schedule the game in November, you know, when it would have been 18 yeah, that, degrees. they should have so done that. All right, here's another classic rivalry game. Uh, BYU is visiting Wisconsin. Uh, did the Madison bar mm. owners see that one on the schedule and just get depressed? Like, man, I got kids in college. I need these these visiting fans to come into town and drink tons of beer. And you guys schedule BYU? I mean, come on. I, I'm sure the downtown bars can handle but the, the, the hotel bar, like all of a sudden, instead of like a bunch of drunk alums buying each other shots, trying to act like big timers, you're just going to get a bunch of really polite. Nice, pretty people, well adjusted. There'll be like a work. There'll be a line at the workout facility at like six a.m. Saturday morning. Um, <laughs> Pat, is this the biggest pregame drinking mismatch in NCAA history? BYU versus Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that could compare to this. Uh, if you've been to Wisconsin games, they go hard. If you've been to B, been to BYU games, they do not go hard. Uh, the one thing that the, the taxing thing for the uh, merchants and the the restaurateurs and bar owners in Madison do they have enough Jello salad? Which is the old uh, Mormon joke that Mormons like Jello salad a whole lot. So uh, stock up. There could be a big a big run on that. Uh, but yeah, no, this is I I, I would love I would have loved to have been there last year when Wisconsin played at BYU and the you know one and a half bars in Provo are get overrun. 
by the party animals from Madison. That uh, that would have been a real mismatch to see. But this one, yes, I do feel uh, for the the bar owners hoping to sell anything to BYU fans. So I think, Dan, you and Pat would agree with this. We're very lucky. We have great jobs. We get to travel the country and go to games. But there is one moment every Saturday when I cover a game. You pull the car into the parking lot. You close the door. And you walk to the stadium. And everyone is just having bananas yeah. fun. They're playing uh, you know, cornhole. They're doing keg stands. They're crushing beers. And I'm in my like tie with my press <laughs> pass and my backpack walking to the game. And it's just so depressing. You, there's always that one fleeting moment when I'm like, you know, maybe I could just <laughs> go over there and have a, and then you just stay focused and take it one step at a time. But I have never been so tempted to go off the trail to the press box than walking to the stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. I mean, it was just a bacchanal of like beer spilling out of bars and like the the back of bars. Just there was just like people and beer and probably some stolen cheese graters. Uh, I was just like, wow, like they know how to do yeah. it here. Um, so I have no empathy for the Wisconsin bar owners because I have full confidence their bars will be filled with locals. And I feel like the hearty Wisconsin fans will try to drink double to help their local bar owners fill their quotas. I think that's the least they could do. Um, yeah. yeah, and sure, you don't stop, Pete. Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, Pete, uh, speaking of drinking, you're in Austin, Texas uh, uh, right now. Uh, Texas hosts USC. I am. On Saturday. Now, the loss to Maryland took the sizzle out of the Longhorn season, and the Trojans are limping in after getting beaten on the scoreboard and physically by Stanford. Still, Fox is hyping this sucker up uh, like it's 2005. Uh, they are calling it a trilogy game. Okay, the trilogy would be the 2005 national title that Vince Young and the Horns won in the Rose Bowl. And the second edition would be last year's uh, very wild and entertaining overtime game that the Trojans won. So this is the deciding game. Uh, now, I know Fox, our friends at Fox, would never overhype anything. Um, uh, but there is an actual promotional poster of the game featuring Sam Darnold and Vince Young, not the current QBs. Um, Pete, are, uh, are, are, are the current Longhorns and Trojans getting disrespected or – should uh, no one really care and just be happy that anyone's paying attention to these two teams at this point? Uh, and this is just going to be good uh, inter-regional fun. Great brands, bad ball. That's pretty much the best way to sum this up. Uh, I, I think it'll be kind of a, a cool scene at Texas on uh, on Saturday night. They've done a nice job. Texas has never really been the most intimidating place to play in the country. It's not nearly like has the environment of a Texas A&M or some of those great SEC venues like LSU, Alabama, Georgia, et cetera. But the student section has kind of been revamped and jacked up. And they, they have like a Bevo walk now. So there, there is like a little better environment here at Texas maybe than there has been in the past. But there are other more appealing games Uh Dare I talk about football for a second? I feel like the interesting matchup here is going to be LA, uh, I'm sorry, USC's T. Martin, the offensive coordinator, and how he uses JT Daniels. USC has really struggled against high-end defenses uh, the, the past two years. If you look at what Notre Dame just mauled them last season, and uh, obviously the, the bowl game against Ohio State, they didn't move the ball a square inch. So it would be interesting on this stage to me 
if USC with all their five-star toys can get any sync rhythm, et cetera, going on, uh, on offense with a quarterback that we talked about who should still be in high school. Uh, all right. Um, Pat, uh, you and I on our old show on Wetzel to 40, we used to give a lot of relationship advice, uh, as regular listeners know. And, um, I think it was very sound relationship advice, but I got to tell you, I'm going to cede the floor here on this time. I think uh, both of us, um, this is some real wisdom. Uh, first, some background. Pitt got blown out, everyone knows, by Penn State on Saturday. Unless you think the Panther coaching staff is taking it well, they are not. At least not tight end coach Tim Salem. Now, Salem is already famous for this little habit of refrigerating open bottles of Mountain Dew. He has a refrigerator in his office. He unscrews the top of the Mountain Dew, leaves it in the fridge. That way he can have a cold and flat Mountain Dew. True story. Uh, Yum. Yum. All right. Hey, teach their own. Uh, That would be odd, but consider that since Pitt lost on Saturday, Salem said via Craig Meyer of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that he has not left the team's football facility, like not at all. From from the game to now, I don't know when you're listening to this, but he may still be in there. He has worked in the facility. He has eaten in the facility. He has worked out, maybe. Uh, He has slept there. He just sleeps on the floor or couch or something. No fresh air. It's like he's on special housing unit on lockup raw. He says he is depressed. The only thing he wants to do is work 18 hours a day and then collapse and wake up in the morning to a cold, flat Mountain Dew. Sounds healthy and well-adjusted. Remember, these are the people that come to the recruits' houses and tell them they'll teach your kid about life values. <laughs> but there is some wisdom to this, and I'm going to quote why he won't go home. Quote, when I go home late at night, it's, honey, can you change the light bulb? Can you move this out to the garage? No. I don't want to change no light bulbs. I'm not moving nothing in the garage. So I don't want to go home. I don't have to do that stuff. The honeydew list is gone because it's not there. This is my sanctuary. Now, the man has a point. The absolute easiest way to not do household chores for your wife is to never go home. If you don't want to listen to your wife tell you things, never speak to her again. This would solve the problem. Uh, with this kind of strategic planning, it is a wonder Pitt did not beat Penn State. Right, Pat? Uh, Pete has figured this out by not getting married at all. But, Pat, what do you have to say about this marital Yoda in Pittsburgh trying to lead us off? <laughs> you know, <laughs> marital Yoda's got a point, I got to say. Uh, you know, avoidance sometimes is your best friend. Uh, I, have, I have been known – during football season, you know, when it's like, hey, can you get the driver's license tags renewed on the car? Oh, you know, gosh, I'm just, it's dash. I got to write the dash. I've got to travel. I got to do this. I got to do the podcast. You know, I'm not sure I'll be able to get to it. Uh, can you, you know, yeah. Can you clean this? Can you fix that? Oh, you know, if you can wait till April, sure. We can talk then. It's September now, but maybe in April. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> I, I would say that is, that is a sound uh, escape tactic. I'm not sure about spending the entire week at the pit football <laughs> facility. I mean, I, I would imagine those Thai soccer kids that was in that s- submerged cave would have, would, would like <laughs> want to, want to tell him, 
perhaps there's a life outside. You might want to try it. I mean, uh, it, it, it's not exactly the way I would like to go through life, but it does have its escape benefits. I'm just going to call out Pat here. He definitely isn't capable of fixing anything, so I don't even think he'd be well, asked to yeah, fix anything. That's, that's a fair point, too. I mean, it's not like Mrs. Tim Salem is really is requesting a lot. Change the light bulb and move something to the garage. We need to have her on the podcast next week. I think she's our next guest. I mean, this is not really, I guess, technically heavy lifting if it was something heavy to the garage, but she's not. I mean, really. Come on, Tim. Um, anyway. If EJ Borghetti from Pittsburgh, their fine longtime SID is listening, consider this a, a formal request <laughs> to get Salem. Mrs. Salem. I bet she's got a few things to say. She's probably got a little venting to do here, and I don't blame you. I'm on team Mrs. Salem. Uh, Yahoo College Fantasy Football has arrived. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. Looks, feels, and plays just like regular fantasy football with 100% college sign up now yahoo.com slash college all right a couple more quick ones before we get to the uh pete thamel interview with uh toledo coach uh jason candle um ohio state is averaging 64.5 points and 650 yards per game in their two games without urban meyer now game three is saturday at tcu ranked 15th in the country owner of the iron skillet again uh that's the best opponent obviously for the buckeyes but Considering the success Ohio State has had without Urban Meyer on the sideline, uh, let's start with you, Pete. Are co- head coaches overrated on game day? We're not saying they then, you know, he organizes, recruits, all that, but once the ball's kicked, what is the head coach that useful? Well, I think the head coach is useful in games where there's, you know, competitiveness, right? I mean, if you're a head coach, your decision making will come down to like, okay, it's second and eight. All right, are we gonna are we gonna try to run the ball twice if we're you know in this certain part of the field? Are we gonna you know are, are we get are we gonna run two plays here? Can we run twice because we know we're gonna go on fourth? Like um, I know Urban Meyer has a lot to do with their special teams, but they probably he runs punt, but they probably have punted what like once in, in two weeks. So I I just think all coaches are overrated in games where the disparity is sixty plus points. Pat overrated. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Pete's point is certainly valid that you don't you don't need to make a whole lot of crunch time calls when you are just beating the daylights out of Oregon State and Rutgers. <laughs> uh, it, but Texas Te- Texas Christian should be a little bit of a different animal. This should be a more competitive game. There might be some decisions that will impact uh, where the direction of the game is going as far as who's going to win. So uh, this will be the test. I think we will find out a little bit more about how much a a head coach, specifically a really smart and accomplished head coach like Urban Meyer, matters on game day. All right, finally, I, I notice everywhere I go, uh, we've started up with this, it seems earlier and earlier every year, but someone's trying to put pumpkin into everything I buy. Coffee, beer, you name it. Pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin. Suddenly we're all farmers looking for a way <laughs> to stretch the pumpkin, pumpkin patch harvest or something. Um. Well, buckle up, boys. The Herman Worst House Company. Yes, Worst House. That is W-U-R-S-T, and then second word is H-A-U-S. Uh, so I'm mispronouncing it, but Worst House. Um, they just won a prize at the Missouri State Fair, so they are not the worst. Uh, and you can't spell sausage without USA. 
Uh, anyway, <laughs> they are <laughs> one of my favorite slogans. Anyway, they are selling a pumpkin spice bratwurst, Pat. <laughs> pumpkin spice bratwurst. Conceivably, this could be grilled at a football tailgate, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to quote someone named Wurstmeister Mike, who uh, works for the company. <laughs> quote, many people have asked when, and I have been testing and tweaking my recipe for a pumpkin spice bratwurst. I find this to be a lie. I don't believe many people asked. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Wurstmeister Mike. Hate to call you out. Uh, worst, because I'll return to the quote. I am here to tell you I am done, finished, wrap it up. Great flavor if you like pumpkin pie, pumpkin bread, pumpkin beer, and now pumpkin bratwurst. Heat and eat. Great for football tailgating season. Fall cookouts or just try it because you never know. Uh, wait, because you have ne- you never have and you know you want to. I really don't want to. Um, Pat, are you going to buy some pumpkin spice bratwurst from Wurstmeister Mike? Uh, Wurstmeister Mike is, to quote, I think it was the old Keith Olbermann show, the worst person in the world <laughs> uh, and really needs to be incarcerated <laughs> immediately. Uh, I would say life without parole. To do that to a bratwurst is absolutely uncivilized. Bratwurst is a great food stuff. It's a great thing to eat, especially in a football tailgate. And if you want to pumpkin spice that thing up, you're a terrible human being. That's my thought. You could cook at the prison, uh, <laughs> like the, the cast. San Quentin for that yeah, dude. The prison, the Send mess him. hall or whatever they call it. Go down there. Pete, you have the remote, the most refined palate on this uh, podcast. Uh, your thoughts on pumpkin spice bratwurst? I think if uh, Bratmaster Mike or whatever his name is was brought to the Wisconsin BYU game, he would be tarred and feathered amid one of those uh, amid one of those bars for high crimes against the great meat of bratwurst. Uh, I am anti-pumpkin in general. If there was a way on my Twitter feed to mute any mention of pumpkin, because the only thing worse than anything that tastes like pumpkin is the obsession over pumpkin. Like, Starbucks is three weeks away from the pumpkin spiced whatever. Like, who cares? I'm anti-pumpkin. I'm anti-pumpkin bratwurst. It's the worst part of the fall. I'm just looking at this list here from delish.com, which is clearly not delish. Uh, anyone for pumpkin spice chicken sausage uh, is on the list here. The, nope. These are the 13 worst, oh. 13 pumpkin spice abominations that will make you <laughs> gag. That's the name of this article. <laughs> Actually, I'm liking this. Uh, and such an yeah, it got me to click. Uh, yes. <laughs> morons like me. Well, actually, click. there's a picture here like this. The lead art on this is a picture of a pumpkin pie. It has. Two bits of whipped cream as the eyes and then a mouth, like a smile, but it's a frown. It's upside down. So the, <laughs> the pumpkin pie is frowning. Uh, <laughs> pumpkin spice chicken sausage, because, you know, you go out the white meat. It's a little healthier, I guess. Uh, terrible. Nope. Pumpkin spice Pringles. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Good God. Pumpkin oh. pasta sauce. Oh, I, that no. actually, I, I would not eat that, but like the tomato, you guess you're replacing the tomato with pumpkin. I, I don't know. At least there's something there. Pumpkin spice hummus. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I mean, you know, hummus is in and of itself kind of a, a non-necessary item. So, you know, if you want to throw pumpkin in that, I don't care. You're anti-hummus, Pat? I'm not anti-hummus, but I'm not certainly not. I can go the rest of my life without hummus. I'd be okay. <laughs> 
I'm as free since 18. <laughs> Could you go without pumpkin patch pop rocks? <laughs> yes, oh. yes, I could. <laughs> this article is great. It just <laughs> this writer is the laziest writer, and I love, I love her. All it says under pumpkin patch pop rocks is, in what world was this considered a good idea? <laughs> I love the brevity. Pumpkin spice salmon. Oh no, that's that's a disaster. It makes no sense. Like, kind of surf and turf, I guess. It doesn't. Mm. There's no pumpkins in the sea in the river. Salmon is good. Don't junk it up with pumpkin. Pumpkin spice salsa. No. Oof. Pumpkin tortilla chips. I guess to go with your salsa. Yeah. Pumpkin spice water. No. Pumpkin spice. I'm skipping lunch pump, now yeah. because of this. Pumpkin, <laughs> not hungry. Pumpkin spice hand sanitizer. <laughs> what? They, the hand sanitizers are everything. They got every flavor. Yeah, right. Um, pumpkin spice hookah tobacco. <laughs> I, that one I actually might that, – that might not be that bad. We need a hookah expert to tell us how that is. And then the weirdest one I think <laughs> Mrs. Here, Salem can try it on the show next week. <laughs> Uh, the, the comment under is, okay, things have officially gone too far. Pumpkin spice fish bait. <laughs> what fish is going to eat a pumpkin spice bait? I mean, bait? are we worried about whether the... A pumpkin salmon. Are, are we worried about whether the fish that we're about to catch enjoys its last meal? I guess it's kind of <laughs> like a execution. <laughs> right? You get to have your last supper. So enjoy the pumpkin spice because I'm about to pull you out of your the water and cook you. Death by pumpkin spice. There you go. All right. This is a, this is an ongoing saga right there. For uh, sure. We got trouble with the pumpkin is not. We will continue with this. Uh, all right. Finally, Toledo. University of Toledo is hosting Miami of Florida. Not Miami, Ohio. That would not be newsworthy. Miami of Florida at uh, UT's terrific stadium. The Glass Bowl. Great place. Uh, always love it when the bigger name schools play true road games. Toledo, Ohio will be rocking. Uh, Pete sat down with Toledo coach Jason Candle to discuss the big week on campus. Uh, the Rockets always good program and uh, what it means to have Miami um, come visit the Glass Bowl. So uh, here is Pete and uh, Jason. This is Pete Thamel on the Yahoo College Sports Podcast with Toledo head coach Jason Candle. The Rockets host the University of Miami this week, perhaps the biggest regular season game in school history. Jason, I'm wondering if you can walk us through the moment and what it means to have Miami coming to the Glass Bowl. Well, thanks for having me, Pete. Um, yeah, I think this is a big moment for our city, uh, certainly our university and uh, the men that I have in our locker room and certainly our coaching staff. You know, it's a we all have a great amount of respect for Coach Rick, his staff, and what Miami's been able to build as a program. And we know that's one of the, you know, a, a top ten or top five program in my opinion in, in the history of college football. So, a very exciting time at Toledo, and a very exciting weekend for you know the Glass City and the Toledo football family. It's become rarer and rarer as the Power Five teams have gotten more money and the Group of Five teams are struggling to keep up. That you find a marquee program like Miami, you know, coming to coming to a MAC school. I think these are one of the things that make college football great. It shows there's some equity. It, it gives a it gives a great program like yours a chance to showcase itself here. I'm wondering if you can reflect on that trend a little bit for me, Jason, and then also 
reflect on what this moment just kind of means and the excitement that's built over the summer for uh, a program like Miami coming in here? Well, I think home and home football games and, and and marquee games, whether they're Power Five versus Power Five or Group of Five versus Power Five, I think there's a place for those to be played on college campuses. I think the pageantry of college football is something that um, we can't, you know, disrespect moving forward as a, with our game because I just think that means so much to the people in the communities when those games are on campuses. Um, you know, as far as us and in, in, in playing this game here at our stadium, you know, I think there's just so many th- cool things that the city can wrap their arms around. I mean, we have a uh, a decent sized market here in Toledo when it comes to to media and, and radio personalities and TV and, and things like that. But we don't have a pro sports team, so this is a big deal for our city and it's a big deal for the people in our community. So, um, obviously, excited to play the game and and uh, looking forward to it. So, in, in your career, Jason, you've coached at two schools which is uh which is i think unique for uh for, for someone of your age one is obviously mount union where uh, where you played where you got your start where which has won just a slew of national championships uh under legendary coach larry karras and beyond and obviously then uh you, you came to toledo where you worked for uh matt campbell and then uh have, have risen up to be the head coach two very proud traditions two you know long time standing ohio schools I wonder if you can walk me back a little bit through Mount Union, and when you look back, I'm sure you get asked all the time, what has been the secret to just the relentless success that they've had there? And I'm wondering how you maybe could pinpoint that and, and explain that phenomenon from the uh, you know for people from the outside. Yeah, great question. Uh, I think I get asked about that often, and I'm always eager to talk about it because it's something that's meant so much to my development as a as a football coach and probably more importantly as a man. So, um, they, uh, you, you mentioned coach Karras and his, his record in college football is, is never been duplicated. Um, he's the best to ever do it statistically and certainly the best to ever do it in my mind, in my opinion. Um, and he's impacted so many people along the way, um, whether they're college coaches, high school coaches, coaches in the NFL today, um, not too many NFL players come out of division three programs, as we all know. So you always have to, understand and when you're you're a part of that program and you're a part of the culture each and every day there that you know we're we're working for something bigger than uh what maybe necessarily on the on the schedule today or on our plate today um, but as we handle the day we have to make sure that we we do handle our responsibilities like men um and and recognize and i think that's a place where you really learn that your actions are bigger than you and that you're just not pounding your chest and saying uh, my bad or pounding your chest and saying, Hey, I, I screwed up and owning your mistakes. You're really learning that your decisions as a human being and as a man, whether it be in corporate America or whether it being on the football field or being a part of a team, um, that it's bigger than you. It's not about, it's not about you. It's, it's about being selfless. It's about making great decisions. And if I do make a mistake and the impact and understanding the impact that that has on everybody around you, I think coach is the ultimate, um, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't say innovator, but ultimately he did a really good job of putting that plan and that uh, understanding in all of us, whether, you know, whether we're coaches in today's world or we're part of, like I said, corporate America, people that played there and under, always understand that their actions are, they're A, they're accountable for their actions and B, uh, how that, that impacts the greater the greater cause. And uh, we're all striving to get better each and every day. And I think coach was a, a crystal clear picture of that for how he lived his life. Um the husband he was, the father he was, and um, the man he was, and the mentor he was to many of us, including myself. I, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic um, transition into the coaching profession. It's a tough segue. It's a hard moment to, to go from being a player to a coach. It's a tough moment for anybody that plays any sport. That, that, 
that then when that the day comes that you have to take your jersey off or the pads off in this this instance. So for me to have that start and to to be able to learn football from a guy that I respected so much, uh, certainly grateful and and can't put into really words how much it's meant to me. When I think the general football fan thinks of Mount Union, they think of two guys who you coached their uh, hands-on, one being Pierre Garçon and the other being Cecil Shorts, who have both carved out really nice NFL careers for themselves uh, from that. What did those two, Jason, specifically teach you as a young coach coaching them? Well, that question and how you phrase that question certainly is exactly what I would say as an answer. I mean, <laughs> if that sounds right, but um, – they did teach me a lot. They they taught me that uh, each and every day that you have to be prepared and you have to continue to, to find ways to stimulate great players. It's really easy to pick out flaws in people who uh, maybe aren't necessarily as talented in, in trying to get them and to create other ways how to do things. But when a great player who has all the physical abilities that those guys had, and most of the time when we were playing against teams and the guys they were playing with, they were naturally just better than the other, the other team. Um, so trying to get those guys to understand, uh, understand where you want to go. Um, you told me you wanted to go play in the NFL. Let's find ways to help you stay connected to your dream and your goal here. Let's let's find a, a great path to get our degree on the way, and let's find ways to continue to get better as a player um, for the guys that you're going to play against eventually down the road. And I think maybe that was kind of a learning process for both of us going through at the time with Pierre, and certainly, uh, you know, Pierre maybe put a little bit of a blueprint down for Cecil coming through and made it life a little bit easier on him. Um, maybe even from a position coach's standpoint at the time, because maybe I knew what I was doing a little bit better at the time. I'll never forget getting a call from one of the scouts like, hey, can this Garcon guy play in the NFL? And I'm like, how the hell do I know? I don't know. I never coached an NFL guy. I'm a 25-year-old receiver coach at Mount Union. I don't, I don't know if he could play there. But what I would say is there was always a competitive spirit. There was always a willingness and a desire to – do the work necessary to be great. And I do remember telling that same scout, hey, all I know is you'll have a really hard time cutting this guy. And I think his entire career has been that. No one's ever been able to cut him. Um, he's always just outworked the rest of the guys. Sometimes he's not the most talented guy in the room, but he's. I think now this is going on – this is his 10th season in the league, and um, he's put together a fantastic career. And Cecil was, was a lot like that too. But, yeah, to pinpoint your question, those guys taught me a lot about football, taught me a lot about player-to-coach relationships and, and how to find and continually stimulate growth in, in, in what, I too, what I consider two great players. Before we get to your current crop of receivers who who may be showing at the next level at some point in the near future, uh, I have to ask you about Kareem Hunt. He obviously blew onto the NFL scene last year as a third-round pick of the Chiefs and uh, was just really one of, the, one of the most dynamic players in all of the NFL. You obviously coached him as a coordinator and then as a head coach here at Toledo, Jason. What, what stands out to you about Kareem's story in a sense? Well, first thing is all the bad play calls that I had and him making me look really good. Um but, yeah, no, I think a tremendous story. I think um, a guy who has earned everything that he's received um, and will continue to do so. I, you know, it's a, he picked to, to come to a school that maybe it wasn't his biggest offer. Um, not common in today's society. If you talk about recruiting, you talk about, you know, young people, bigger is always better to them. He picked a great fit where he could highlight his career. We did a good job of meeting him halfway and putting him in, him in positions to be successful. Uh, I think his NFL career to start out has mirrored that a little bit. He's in a great situation. The people in Kansas City have met him halfway to putting a good plan to help him be successful. Uh, he's got uh, great people around him that have helped to transition him 
into this role as, as a as a superstar in the league, which he was as a rookie. I mean, the first game of his career to to bounce back on the first carry from fumbling on a first carry to having the game that he had, um, you know, breaking the record for scrimmage yards by the rookie and all of that stuff. Uh, just really, that probably parallels and kind of paints a picture of what his career and his life has been. Um, not always easy, but always a guy that was a fighter and got off the mat and kept responding and, and really didn't let circumstances dictate what the outcome of his season or his game or particularly his life would be. Toledo this season has arguably one of the best trios of receivers in, in all of college football, anywhere really. It's uh, it's an astounding collection of, of talent. Cody Thompson obviously got injured last season, came back. Uh, Deontay Johnson is one of the most dynamic players and explosive players in all of college football. And obviously, John Vay Johnson has proven throughout his young career that he's going to have a high-end potential as well. Walk me through, Jason, how those three kind of got here for, for this moment and maybe some of their individual skill sets. Yeah, um, different recruiting stories for all three guys and on their paths to get here, but very similar in, in the core and their beliefs, um, very similar at the core of who they are as people. I think, you know, if you, you, you start with Cody Thompson, he's he's got one scholarship offer out of high school, and it's to Toledo. He comes to camp here. He's a high school quarterback at a school down the road, and um, after a couple balls being thrown in the dirt, it's like, hey, go over there and run some routes and see what this looks like. And you just seen – uh, a competitive guy that was out there just willing to continue to jump to the front of the line. He wanted to show you what he was capable of doing. Um, and usually people that have that type of mentality are very comfortable in who they are because they know they've earned the right to do that. And Cody has earned the right to do that his entire career. Um, 3-7 student, he's going to have a master's degree when he leaves here. He's going to be an NFL player. He's going to he leads our team in community services service hours. He's been on the Warfel Trophy list the last two years. He's been on the Bolitnikoff Award list the last two years. He's a tremendous kid. He's everything that you would want a leader of your team to to be. Um, he's a two time captain. He's a guy that uh, you know you just can't say enough about. And it's almost it's almost to the point where people try to look for flaws in him because it, it's almost too good to be true. Uh, but when your best players are your best people and you're the best workers, your team has a real chance because, again, uh, words don't always match what behavior is, and he acts it, and I really appreciate and respect that from him. So anybody that gets their hands on him is going to get a great one. Um, Deontay Johnson, you know, kind of a similar situation from Tampa, Florida. Not, not many offers coming out of high school. You know, lots of players in the, in, the, in Tampa and the metropolitan area where some guys get overlooked, and much like a Pierre Garçon, he's you know, wasn't – as ready and didn't have maybe the structure um, leading up until the opportunity for him to be a division one athlete that maybe a Cody Thompson had. Um, so there were some growing pains early in the career, but you could always see a very talented guy and a very competitive guy. Um, I know it's something that I really respect about him is there's lots of times that, you know, indirectly or directly there's no, or I can't do something is, is not in that guy's vocabulary. He's going to always continue to push the envelope to be great. Um, really Loves football, respects the craft and what it takes to to study the game. Always looking for reasons and opportunities to get better. Um, yeah, like mo- most lot, lots of other young players, are there bumps in the road? Sure, there are. And, and these two guys I'm talking about, and even John Vay have experienced some of them. So, but they always seem to come back and and uh, 
and the response is always always better than what the maybe the event or the 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 action that happened to him, which I, I really do respect. Uh, John Vay, same situation. Gary, Indiana, um, not many offers out of high school as well. You know, state champion in the hundred meters and track and two hundred meters or, or first or second at two hundred meters coming out of high school. Um, guy that can take the top off the defense in a hurry at a tremendous career all the way through and looking forward to another big to a big senior year for him but I, I think these these three guys are all three different in a sense John Vazier vertical threat guy uh, Deontay has got his elite of quickness as you mentioned as anybody in America and can really help you in the return game very dynamic punt returner great kick returner uh, and then Cody's Mr. Consistent as far as you know the bigger size guy um, sure-handed third down always going to be in the right spot um, just to add so much value to special teams and so many different things to your team that you, you just you want guys like that on your team so I think all three of them got a real shot to play at the next level I think they can be productive players uh, obviously like Garcon like Kareem Hunt like Cecil Shorts a fit is necessary forever any of them to be successful but what I would tell you is I think that they they got the staying power and I think they can last it and make it well, uh, we'll we'll end here with I know your uh, your favorite team outside of football is the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I know you went to Fenway Park a little bit this summer. The Red Sox have obviously uh, peaked to where they've uh, jumped above fifty games above uh, above five hundred here. I'm just wondering, as someone who's been a part of winning organizations and winning sport, what's impressed you generally about that uh, about that team and organization this season? I think they just love playing with each other. To be honest with you, and that's. That sometimes sounds so elementary and so generic. Like, yeah, coach, what the hell you mean? They like pl- love playing with each other. This, there's, there's courses through the course of a game, and uh, you know, I get, I get, you know, stuff from our staff all the time about you. You actually can sit and watch nine innings of baseball. Um, <laughs> I actually do. I find it quite relaxing, uh, whether it is on TV or in person. Um, but I, I just. There's so many times throughout the course of the year that they were down and they, they've been able to battle back. They've had lots of um, late inning heroic games where they've come back and won in, in, in dramatic fashion. And just to see the the spirit of the locker room, I'm sure that I'm not haven't been in the locker room, but I'm sure that locker room is a very close room and guys really like each other. And when that happens, um, the adverse situations aren't as tough as they normally are for teams that, that, that don't care about each other. Uh, and I know that. You know, in a big, bad, manly world of sports, caring about each other sometimes doesn't doesn't appeal to the casual fan. But generally, loving your teammates and playing for one another—that's a big deal. And you know, and then that that that's probably the off the field thing that I see the most. But on the field, you know, you're they're playing great defense. The pitching's been good uh, and consistent from the top to the bottom. You know, from the starting pitching to the bullpen. Um, and when you do that, and you have the bats that they have, they'd be able to hit the ball out of the ballpark, which is different from last year, and then this, and, and they're still being able to, to run and, and get on the bases and steal some bases. So they put the heat on the defense uh, in a multitude of different ways, and then, and then ultimately when you get good pitching and good defense, I think you've got a recipe for success, and they're playing outstanding. Hopefully they can continue. I'm going to close with a very difficult question. My all-time favorite obscure Red Sox is uh, portly reliever Rich Garces. Who's yours? Trot Nixon. Oh, beauty number seven. I can definitely see you liking Trot Nixon. That makes a lot of sense. Green jersey back from I think maybe the first couple of years they did the St. Patrick's Day stuff in spring training. I still own a green Trot Nixon jersey. Um, would like to have some pine tar off of that bat or that hat that he used to wear, that batting helmet he used to wear. But, yeah, I'm a blue-collar guy when it comes to that kind of stuff and really like guys that played hard, and I always thought that guy busted his tail. So a lot of respect for him. We saved the best for last here on the Yahoo College Sports Podcast. Jason Candle is our guest this week. Thanks, Coach Candle. Really appreciate you having me.
All right, I, I really like that his favorite Red Sox was Trot Nixon, of all people. I mean, nothing against Trot, but usually Big Poppy, you know, Yaz, Ted Williams. No, Trot Nixon. Trot Nixon, former option quarterback who committed to NC State before signing with the Red Sox out of high school, was kind of a ham and egger. You could see why a Mac guy, you know, played D3 yeah. ball, would like him some Trot Nixon. Like him some Trot Nixon. That's uh, it's, it's good stuff. Anyway, good stuff for uh, Coach Candle, and uh, good luck to the Toledo Rockets. They really should change their school name to the Mud Hens, though. Every team in Toledo should just be called the Mud Hens uh, because it's too good of a name. Uh, anyway, that's our podcast for this week. Uh, please subscribe so you don't miss any. Friday uh, or Thursday, there will be the Race for the Case. Pat and Pete will make their uh, selections for the upcoming games. Always entertaining, and eventually one of them is going to win a case of beer, uh, and they'll probably uh, help you lose money in gambling doing this. Uh, and then we'll be back Monday with the overreaction podcast of all the, the action, but you need to subscribe so you don't miss it. Please share us on social media. Talk us up at your tailgate. Uh, find some friends to, uh, to listen because uh, what the heck, you, you know, you get what you pay for, but this is free, and uh, we will uh, keep going. So talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.